0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you for leading us through that first bit and uh, through the precious Lord's Supper, which is always such a wonderful time. And thank you, Mark, especially for the songs this morning. They're all his work, apart from the awesome cutlery one. They're all Mark's work and they sounded really nice. So thank you so much. You're such a talented young man. Uh, Mark mentioned in his prayer about Robin um, dibble facing surgery this week just uh, if you didn't get that uh, intimation robin's surgery has actually been moved forward to to this wednesday so do be praying for him about that and to his whole family of course so let's turn to god's word together uh, we're going to read from romans chapter 7 if you have your bibles well i really hope you've got a bible handy If not, uh, go and find one, that would be good. Let's read together Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound To her husband, as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. That you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by his dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we pray you would take your word this morning and break it open for us. Help us to understand, help us to receive it, and most importantly, help us by your Holy Spirit to, to respond to it with our lives, with our whole heart. Speak to us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, football is back. Have a listen to this. Just this one afternoon started the whole thing off. There was no prolonged courtship. In a desperate and percipient attempt to stop the inevitable, Dad quickly took me to Spurs to see Jimmy Greaves score four against Sunderland in a 5-1 win. But the damage had been done, and the six goals and all the great players left me cold. I'd already fallen for the team that beat Stoke 1-0 from a penalty rebound. That's Nick Hornby's account of the origins of his lifelong love of Arsenal in his book Fever Pitch. And later on he says, I was chained to Arsenal and there was no way out. And it's not uncommon to hear football fans, real fans, talk of their clubs in this way. Sometimes it does sound as if it's a, an abusive relationship that they're in. But no matter how bad they get, they just can't leave. Of course, for those who really are in abusive relationships, abusive marriages and so forth, this comparison to a football club must seem trivial and insensitive. How sad when people feel chained into such a marriage. And how tragic when someone does break free to see them harking back to that toxic relationship or even to enter into another toxic, similar toxic relationship. And sadly, that happens a lot. All human beings actually have been in, in an abusive relationship with sin. In Christ, that relationship has been severed. But how sad, how tragic when we as Christians hark back to that relationship. You remember uh, the accusation that uh, Paul is. uh, Just share my screen there. Remember the accusation that Paul is uh, answering. He's imagining people saying to him, "Look, if you preach that we're saved not by our own works but but purely by grace, um, uh, then and through faith, then won't people just go on doing as they like?" In uh, chapter six, Paul has clearly shown that uh, um, that true believers can't think that way because in Christ we've died to sin, we've been raised to new life. And therefore. Uh, sin and death no longer have mastery over us. In chapter, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 6, he says, sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And now in chapter 7, he unpacks, what does he mean by that? Not under law, but under grace. It might surprise us to hear Paul talking negatively about the law. He's talking about the law God gave to his people, Israel, through Moses in the Old Testament. It's a gift of God. And if it's a gift of God, why does God, Paul talk negatively about it? He'll address that more next time. We see in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 7, he says, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. So we'll talk about that more next time. But it does seem that far from being the law, being part of the solution here, somehow when compi- combined with our sinful nature, actually law, that law becomes part of the problem. That's intriguing, isn't it? Paul's basic illustration is simple to understand. A married woman is uh, bound to her husband she's not free to get involved with another man, that would be adultery. That would be against God's law. But if her husband dies, then that bond no longer exists. She is free to marry another. Of course, it's exactly the same for a man in that situation too. Now, it's worth noting in passing here, Paul's strong view of the bond of marriage it's worth noticing that because in our time and in our day that has been seriously downgraded people move on from that bond so quickly so easily or don't even bother moving on from it before getting into other relationships leaving aside the question as to whether divorce is ever permissible for the Christian, which is not Paul's concern here, so we won't talk about that. But we do simply note that in the Bible, marriage bonds are never to be treated lightly or trivially. Something you just move on from or or grow out of. Even if that marriage relationship has deteriorated, when someone is married legally and before God, any sexual relationships outside of that is clearly adultery, which God takes very seriously indeed. And that is never excusable. Though, of course, where there is true repentance, he does forgive. But the legal bond of marriage is severed by death. That's Paul's illustration. And... uh, so he says, sorry, I've got a bit behind there, have I? Says, verse 4 So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. He's going back to this, this central idea uh, that uh, being united to Christ. We died with him. We were raised with him. And that means that now we belong to another. We belong to Christ himself. He is our husband. Now, there are a couple of things that are slightly confusing in this image, in this Paul's illustration here. In that illustration, the woman's husband dies, leaving her free to marry again. But when Paul applies this to us, he says, we die in Christ. So somehow, to compare the illustration, we are the, the, the spouse who dies and the one who is also free to marry. We are, But that's possible because we are raised to new life, free to be committed to Christ. It's not a perfect analogy, but we get the point. We see what he's driving at. The other slightly confusing thing is, exactly who is the old husband? Now, just to be very clear here, just in case you're thinking this way for a moment, Paul is not saying that if a married person becomes a Christian, then their marriage bond no longer exists. He's not saying that. He's using this image to say that before we become Christians, it's like we're bound in marriage. But who are we bound to? To the law? Well, that's certainly possible. Certainly his Jewish readers would have have had that relationship with the Old Testament law. But in verse 5, in verse uh, 5, he talks about when we were controlled by the sinful nature. So is that our former husband, as it were, our sinful nature? In chapter 6, he did talk about being slaves to sin, so maybe that works. But then he also talked about death being our master. So is death our old husband in this image? Well, it's actually quite difficult to tie down. And perhaps it doesn't matter exactly. Certainly Paul is saying throughout this chapter that our sinfulness gave death power over us, a power which the law was not only powerless to break, but actually in some way exacerbated it kind of prompted our sinful nature, aroused it in some way. The law points out how we should live, but it gives us no power to live that way. Indeed, it simply stimulated our sinful nature into wanting to do the exact opposite. It's the, you know, do not throw stones at this sign syndrome. If you see that sign, just saying that, how can you avoid the temptation to pick up a stone and throw it at it? Tell someone not to do it, will immediately want to do that very thing. And that's how the law operated on our sinful nature. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. However, however exactly we want to pass this, the point is this. In Christ, we are no longer bound to that old domestic arrangement. Something has happened that means we are free to belong to another. Christ Himself, which means we're free to bear fruit for God. Uh, That's what he says in verse 4, in order that we might bear fruit for God. When that old bond was in place, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it consistently. Even when we did good things, we took so much pride in them that our pride, our self-righteousness, became the bigger problem that kept us from God and his salvation. We only bore fruit for death, he says in verse 5. Now that's interesting. He speaks very rhetorically here he doesn't mean by that that people who aren't christians can do nothing good or noble we know that people can we know there are examples of people who don't know christ doing just that but no one can do that perfectly no one can do that consistently and so whether we're following the law of moses or whether we're following the law of our own consciences we still fail to keep it still condemned by whatever law we follow. And often our pride, as I've said, our pride, our self-righteousness stops us and in particular stops the unbeliever from seeing their own shortcomings. And so pride, that worst sin of all, keeps them from God. And so this is the problem with the law, as we see Paul unpack in the rest of this chapter as long as that bond with our sinful selves is in place, the law simply exacerbates the problems. It's the same with any set of rules. That's why the Christian life cannot be just a set of rules for us to follow. I've said before, laws are just like lawn mowers. You know, lawn mowers are great for keeping your grass short. They will cut down weeds if they're growing up through your lawn, but they won't uproot those weeds. And nor can you turn your lawn into a crop of wheat simply by mowing it. In order to produce a crop or to produce fruit, you need a different kind of seed to be sown. Laws can help to keep bad behavior in check in a clumsy, limited kind of way. But they are clumsy and limited. They cannot bear fruit. I was reminded of this this week when someone close to me remarked that, uh, because they had occasion to, because of events of this week, that the offside law wasn't invented to catch people out on a technicality of having their big toe one millimetre further over some imaginary line. Presumably, the offside law was invented to stop people goal-hanging, to make the game better, but now we have VAR and and engrossed in... Endless discussions about that one millimetre. That's not the purpose of that law. Laws are clumsy. Laws don't produce fruit. And that bond that links us to Adam has to be broken. And the law can't do that. Our sinful in-Adamness has to be put to death for us to be free from it. But gloriously, this is exactly what has happened in Jesus Christ. We read verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's a glorious verse. Released from the law to serve in the new way of the Spirit. That's true of all true believing Christians. This is new covenant language. This is the new covenant that we've entered. This is how we bear fruit for God, as John Piper puts it, from the inside out by the Spirit, not from the outside in by the law. From the inside out. This is why truly living under grace doesn't lead to licentiousness, doesn't lead us to say, oh, well, we can do whatever we please because we're saved by grace. It's because of the Spirit that that isn't the case. The Spirit is the new life, that new seed that produces fruit. God's empowering presence working inside us, replacing a demand from the outside, which is what a law is, with a desire from the inside. Where the law is powerless, the Spirit has real power to perform. We're married to Christ now. We're married to Christ. He is our husband. He's our bridegroom. He who gave himself up for his bride, the church, to make us holy, to present us as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, as Paul says in Ephesians. Don't we want to please him now? Don't we want to give him delight? Not because we have to, but because we want to. And if you're listening to this, and if you are a true child of God, surely, surely you can hear inside you the spirit yearning for real transformation. You don't want to play around with those old ways. You want to serve him. If you have the spirit inside you, surely you can hear him saying that. I'm not asking you, are you perfect yet? I know you're not. Because you're really quite like me in that regard. I'm not asking, are there particular sins you really struggle with? I know there are, because there certainly are for me. I'm asking, do you know his spirit in you, making you yearn to live a Christ-like life? Surely, yes. And that is what we're called to work with. That's not the whole story. We still have the remnants of our sinful nature nagging us to do things in a selfish or egocentric way. We still have the devil pulling at us. But we have the spirit inside us yearning to live that way. That's what we work with. A couple of weeks ago I said, how ridiculous would it be for someone who is married to go out every night with his mates, cruising the nightclubs as if he were still single? Well, it's the same image, isn't it? We're married to Christ now. We're free from the things that bound us before. We're free to give ourselves to obedience. In obedience to him. How sad if we're still yearning for the bad old days. How sad if we're still listening to that old tormenting and abusive husband. How sad if we believe the devil's lies and continue to allow ourselves to be enslaved by sin. That is spiritual adultery listen to john piper again he says this the key to living the christian life the key to bearing fruit for god to a christ-exalting life of love and sacrifice is to die to the law and be joined not to a list of rules but to a person to the risen christ The pathway to love is the path of a personal, spirit-dependent, all-satisfying relationship with the risen Christ, not the resolve to keep the commandments. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the law of Moses. Uh, In a similar way, he calls it the ministry that brought death, actually there. The law can't transform us, that's his point, it can't bring life. But what does transform us is gazing into the face of Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3. We, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Piper goes on to say, this is the Christian life, a life of seeing and savouring Jesus Christ and being changed by that sight and that savoring from one degree of glory to the next in his image, therefore, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your own soul, give yourselves utterly to knowing Christ and to trust in Christ and to loving Christ, and you will be changed from one degree. To the next, in the imi- into the image of Christ, you will bear fruit for God, not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm reading a book about at the moment, and um, in it, there's a woman who's been married uh, just recently, three months ago or so, and she has to go away. She goes away on a conference with her work, leaves her husband and of course you can you can um, guess uh, on the conference she meets an attractive man they enjoy each other's company compared to all the other old fogies on the conference they they spend uh, an evening together having a meal and so on and then at the end of the evening um, she just gives him a good night kiss on the cheek but then their lips meet and things get more passionate and then suddenly she remembers she remembers she's a married woman she pushes him away goes into her room I haven't finished the book yet we'll see whether her resolve holds but that's the thing isn't it we remember we're married we wear this ring to remind us might be to show others but it's there to remind us we look down we see we're married now there are ma- and many of us perhaps who were, would not have had that power to resist at that point, so we've got to think about taking action earlier when it comes to spending time alone with somebody perhaps or the kind of conversations we're having with that person. Whatever it might be, we've got to stop earlier. got to remember we're married earlier. But that's what we've got to do if we're going to stay space, faithful to our spouses. How do we stay faithful to our spouses? Well, by remembering we're married And then also by not taking them for granted or allowing our gaze to wander elsewhere, but by reminding ourselves of why we love them, by thinking often of what we love about them, by spending time with them, enjoying their company. And all of that applies to our relationship with Christ, doesn't it, similarly? We stay faithful to Christ By having frequent thoughts of him, by enjoying his company, by reminding ourselves of why we love him, by crying out to him for help in the face of temptation, by remembering we are married to him. We cannot defeat sin by following rules and we can't get holy in a vacuum. So fill your lives more and more with Christ. And the transformation will follow. As we'll sing in a moment, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. take a moment to respond to him in your heart is he your lord and saviour then your husband then just respond to him and if he's not your lord and saviour as Mark said earlier why not You're going to stay in that abusive relationship or are you going to put your trust in Christ, die, to, die with Christ and be raised with him as you give your life over to him? And perhaps for some of us there are particular sins that we're all too aware of or particular dangers, particular flirtations of one sort or another. Pray for the strength to turn away from those, to remember we're married, and to embrace Christ instead. Father God, we need your help in this. We thank you that we, that's precisely what we have. We have your Holy Spirit poured into our lives. And we can live this new life, the life of the Spirit. The new way of the Spirit, serving in that way so that we can bear fruit for you. That's what we long for. Lord, we know our, our faithless hearts will often go in another direction. Help us to guard our hearts this week, Lord. Help us to make much of Christ, to have frequent thoughts of him, to build up our relationship in him so that we stand strong when those temptations come, that we do the right thing. And Lord, for those, I pray, who might be watching, who've got themselves embroiled in a particular situation that they know is wrong, they know displeases you, they know maybe hurts others i pray for the strength from you to help them to see it's not too late to turn to you to do what has to be done to break that out down or off or stop it or whatever it might be with your strength and then to look to you lord we often need other people's help with that help us to seek out people we trust people who can pray for us people who can Stand alongside us. People who can, with whom we can bring it out in the open because when we hide things, we give these things a power in our lives. To bring them out in the open breaks that power before you and before others. Lord, help us, we pray. We need your help. But thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Christ has died for us not so that we can just say, yes, it's all right, we're going to heaven, but so that we can transform and live that eternal life here and now, as glorious as that is, and yes, for eternity, in glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.